This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com slash view. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Chris Fritz, and today on our panel, we have Elizabeth Fine. Hello. Also, Ari Clark. Hi. And finally, Ben Hong. Hello. And we have two guests, Lachlan and Jessica Sachs, who both work on View Test Utils. Could you both give a, a brief introduction of yourselves and how you started working on View Test Utils, how you got into testing? Jessica, would you like to go first? Yeah. So before I was a programmer professionally, I uh, was a lead QA at, uh, at two companies. One made hardware thermometers, actually, plugged into your iPhone. So I did both the software and the hardware testing for that. And from there, started my love of testing. And I just brought that with me as I moved into software. Cool. So hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Lachlan. I started my career as a back-end developer doing Ruby on Rails, which has a, a very strong testing culture. So when I had to uh, move over to do some front-end work, I naturally looked for uh, a testing framework for, for Vue.js, which is what we were using at the time. And there wasn't a whole lot available. There was a few small libraries, but uh, nothing uh, official. So that's sort of where I started contributing to the community and working on Vue test utils. Rad. And... Jessica, I don't think I got your story into how you started working on Vue test utils, actually. Yeah. So testing has always been a part of my software practice. And when I picked up Vue, I naturally looked for what was the framework for mounting your components and doing it the right way. And Vue test utils was that. And when I was ready to contribute to open source, that's what I started with. Nice. I I wish I could say that testing has always been a part of my development practice. Yeah. <laughs> when you awesome. started the QA, it kind of it kind of comes in with you. Mm. It definitely makes sense. <laughs> and so, have you both been working on a rewrite actually of Vue Test Utils lately in TypeScript? A lot of the other main libraries have been moving to TypeScript, so it seems quite an attractive option, especially with the history Vue Test Utils had. Because I think when Ed Ed Yeberg first started working on it, uh, it wasn't super clear what people wanted or how they wanted to test view components. So mm. for that reason, there's a lot of, I guess, exploratory work, I believe, in the code base, tons and tons of features, just sort of because someone asked for it. However, I think that led to the API getting quite bloated. So mm. we're trying to, or considering to move to TypeScript, but I wouldn't consider it a full rewrite because we can take a lot of knowledge and learnings from the previous code base. And a lot of things like uh, how you interact with HTML elements doesn't really change. But I think moving at least some of the core logic to things like, for example, mount and shallow mount to TypeScript will get much better development experience with the suggestions from VS Code and that sort of thing. And we can also leverage the types from Vue, which is now in TypeScript as well. So yeah, I think there's a lot of benefit in moving to TypeScript, which is what we have been exploring doing. Additionally, we're keeping the tests so we can take the tests from the original version when we move over to TypeScript, so it'll be stable. So Good. So Vue test utils itself is well tested. <laughs> <laughs> Extremely, it's 
It has one of the best test infrastructures I've ever seen. It has a bunch of conditional tests, which sounds scary, but it allows for version backwards compatibility. When you run the test suite for Vue Test Utils, it goes through every single version of Vue that it needs to be compatible with, which was really cool to discover when we started digging. Mm. I will say one thing that's not covered as well, and is kind of a priority for us in the next version or the next iteration of Vue Test Utils is testing with third-party components. So a lot of people mm. find themselves trying to test their forms that are built with Vuetify and that's not something that was very well covered when designing Vue test utils. It was very much focused on mm. testing components that are just built with HTML elements. So I think there's a bit bigger scope than there was maybe two or three years ago when we first started working on it because libraries mm. like Vue2Fi were not as widely spread, but it seems like that's by far the most popular component library nowadays. So mm-hmm. it's important to consider that as part of the core infrastructure, I think, when we're, we're writing a library. One of the things I learned at View Amsterdam is I, I got to hang out with uh, John Leader a lot from Vuetify, and I, I hammered on that. And he, he came back and let me know that this is a priority for them. And they've been working on a lot of testing examples for Vuetify to get users started. So one of the collaborations I hope to do in the future is to, to continue that work and to bring some of those examples into the main documentation for Vue Test Utils. Yeah, that, that sounds fantastic. And yeah, it is, it's difficult to try to imagine all the different ways that people might use and build view components <laughs> and, and make that easy to test for right from the very beginning. But what are some other examples of things that view test utils wasn't really built initially to, to help people test that you're now learning is like, oh yeah, that, that's more important. People do run into that a lot. At least from my point of view, TypeScript was not very popular back in 2016, 2017, when people started mm-hmm. to work on view test utils. So there have been uh, bugs here and there related to how TypeScript interacts with everything. And another thing we did not consider was asynchronous components or people loading components that have been split into Webpack uh, chunks, things like that. So I guess some of the more uh, complex examples were not the kind of thing you think first when you're building a library. But if you don't consider all those kind of more advanced usages, you can paint yourself into a corner and it gets really hard to support uh, certain things. So that's the two examples that come to mind, mainly uh, third-party library testing and uh, dealing with lots of different libraries that people pull in like TypeScript or different markup languages like Pug and all these different tooling that you might not necessarily use, but someone somewhere is probably using it. And they need to test their components as much as you do, right? So it's definitely something we have had some complexity around. For, from my perspective, the, the addition of scoped slots in 2.6 was, was not planned in view test utils. So we had some, some issues when we first came on in mid-December. Lachlan did a lot of work on supporting scoped slots. And in that family, additionally, functional components and transitions a problem children for us. We weren't really thinking about what happens when you don't render out into the, to the DOM. View test utils wasn't really architected to handle those cases. And so I have a little bit more of a general question. So for those who don't have as much background with testing, how does view test utils sort of fit in the larger scope of application? Because, you know, obviously you hear a lot about like Jest and Cypress, but like where does view test utils fit in that sort of it's, it's really simple. So whatever test runner you have, Jest or or Mocha, 
you want to be able to mount your components. And with jQuery style testing, you just drop down to the document and you append child and you assert on the document. But with Vue, you want a reproducible environment to mount your components. And that's all Vue Test Utils is, is the ability to mount your components over and over again without polluting your global Vue instance. So more or less just a, a kind of thin utility around the DOM to make it easy to interact with. If you're using the jQuery style selectors, you might have query selector.button.value and it gets quite difficult to read, right? But if you have effectively just a nice syntax around your view components, it's meant to make it easier to test and also to read your tests, which is something you'd probably spend more time doing than actually writing your tests, right? So you could very much write tests without using your test utils. However, this is going to be a little bit more productive and hopefully provide some uh, value to the reader when they're looking at your tests. I would, I would also tag on to that when you're talking about readability, there's a library on top of view test utils, which is the view testing library, which is one of our co-maintainers, Adria's projects. And that provides a very familiar API that allows you to do things like get elements by text or render without having to think about the internals of mount versus shallow mount. Some of the things that view test utils gives you the power to, to explore. The view testing library is an abstraction layer and it, you write really readable tests with it. It's actually a pretty interesting topic you bring up because one of the, the main philosophies behind the testing library family is there's no real stubbing or mocking of dependencies. You just mount your component and API calls and all everything just triggers as you would in production environment, which is in some ways very ideal because you're testing your component in a similar manner than that it will be consumed by the user. On the flip side, though, a lot of people, especially in the view test utils community, from what I've gathered, really enjoy the, the flexibility to stub and mock out dependencies. So different philosophies there. I think there's a lot of value in both. So I think view test utils is much less opinionated than some of the other libraries out there to let people make their own decisions, which is it's pretty important when you're building a general purpose library, right? Yeah. And I know for me personally, a lot of times when I've had like a base button component and it's used in a lot of other components that just happen to include a button in them. And then I suddenly see like tons of tests failing if I don't have base button mocked out in those other, in those other components, because I'm, I'm relying on behavior that now is broken. When you have stubbing, you get both the power of being able to stub and the responsibility of having to remember to do it, right? Mm -hmm. Because your tests go faster when you stub out more of the component hierarchy, but then you kind of have to couple your, your parent to everything you're stubbing out. You have to remember to update your tests when you change the name of things. But on the other hand, you know, GitLab has 16,000 unit tests mm -hmm. and Natalia on the core team says they require shallow mounting for all their unit tests. And they're thinking about adding a linter rule to require shallow mounting mm -hmm. uh, because the speed is so much of a factor. Yeah. And then on the other hand, I've also run into cases where like all the, the tests in base button, for example, are working, but search bar, which uses base button, like all of that passes too. But the search bar is actually broken because I have expectations for the button that I'm, I haven't 
updated in the tests for the search bar, even though I've updated them in the base button component sort of tests. And so you can you can find yourself having these like holes in in your testing too. Like you're not you're not actually testing the interaction with the real base button component. You mean you're uh, you're testing the interaction with the base button mock? Yeah, exactly. And the base button mock still works the same way, even though you've changed the behavior of base button. And thinking like, oh, I don't think this should break anything though. And it's like, oh yeah, I ran the test and nothing does break. So it seems good. Yeah, that's a total argument. Because for... there was a, a test that you didn't have before that, that you were missing in base button. Yeah, and it's a total argument for why mounting your full component hierarchy will give you more coverage as mm-hmm. a trade-off for performance and speed. Um, you will accidentally, inherently test more of your application and component stack when you, when you mount the whole thing. Yeah, and I, I personally do prefer to go the, the GitLab way though and just add a test when I need to and then I won't have that particular problem again. You know, I'd rather things break sometimes occasionally than make all of my tests slower. Can we back up for just a second and um, go over what mocking and stubbing are for um, any listeners who aren't familiar with those terms and also maybe go over the difference between mount and shallow mount. But let's start with mocking and stubbing. <laughs> that sounds great. Thanks, Ari. Lachlan, do you want this one? I know you're passionate about um, that. Um, <laughs> attempts to define this. Uh, people often use mocking and stubbing uh, interchangeably, at least from my point of view. When you stub something out, it's, it's effectively not there, I guess. You put a kind of fake, shallow, uh, fake shell in place of it. So instead of having your complicated component, maybe you just have a div. And it's just the div, it doesn't, it doesn't do anything. So if your previous component you're stubbing out maybe made an API call and rendered a bunch of items, if you stub it out, you just have a div instead. So you, do, you no longer make that API call and you no longer mount all those children. So maybe your test runs faster. Uh, mocking, on the other hand, is at least uh, in my experience, is instead of one dependency, exchange it for another one. So for example... Often I have a case where I mount a component and I want to verify that an API call was triggered, but I don't actually want to make the API call because it's a test. I don't want to hit my server to you know, do all this different uh, behavior. So instead of the API call, I'll mock it out using uh, just as a mocking functionality. And I can effectively use a different function instead of my API call. And then I can just verify that that, that function was called correctly. And I can be pretty confident at that point, at least the component is firing the API call, although it's not actually hitting my server. So that's how I see stubbing and mocking. I'd be interested in how everyone else views that though. I've had cases where I would stub out browser APIs as well. I don't know if that's best practice or what, but I feel like I've had cases where I felt like I could only test the functionality of my component by stubbing out I don't know, um, like query selector or intersection observer, some something like that. Um, that's an API in the browser, and that just allows the tests to proceed without choking up on that API not being found. So you can just create those um, and attach them to the the document or whatever. Those functions just make them kind of like no op functions. Yeah, and that's how I would accomplish something like that. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it just makes a lot of stuff available in JS DOM, but like local storage for, for some very strange reason, like it's so easy to write a, a, a mock for it, but they don't include one by default. Like th- that kind of baffles me. Same for a request animation frame. Usually like 
your setup JS function in Jest just starts off with this list of native functions that JS DOM has omitted. Super common. Does JS DOM not have request animation frame? I thought it did. Maybe my version doesn't, but I remember having to stub it. Okay, now we talked about shallow mounting. What is shallow mounting and what is mounting and why would I want to use one versus the other? Yeah, so there are two methods in the View Test Utils API. If you have read Ed's book on View Test Utils, you will know that shallow mounting is a shout out for that book, by the way. It's a good book and it's still relevant, even though it's completely agree. (laughs) And so shallow mounting will only render the component you pass in. So if you imagine the basic view CLI starter app, if you try to shallow mount app, you won't render hello world, you'll render a stub. And so if you wanted to find hello world again inside of your your mounted thing, you couldn't because we view test utils is responsible for mocking or stubbing that out. See, I can't get the difference between mock and stub right either. But so that's shallow mount and it is more performant than mount because you're not rendering the entire component hierarchy. Mounting will render the whole component hierarchy and arguably provide more test coverage coincidentally, even if you're not trying to, to get that. So, just, so what is and, a oh. scenario where I might want to use mount instead of shallow mount? Or do you guys believe that there is not really any scenario that requires it? Auckland and I are both mount aficionados. Actually, everybody right okay. now on the view t- test utils team, there's four of us, by the way. There's Dobromir, Adria, who we mentioned, Lachlan and I. And all of us are very much in the mount camp versus shallow mount because we think it's a more, maybe because we've seen the view test utils code base and we know how much hacking is going on to get shallow mount working. <laughs> what do you think, Lachlan? I like to use mount, but everyone has their own opinions, right? And I think that shallow mount can at least make it easier sometimes to test certain functionality. It has its place, but I, at least for me, I really value getting as much coverage as possible with as little test writing as possible. For example, when I test a form, I always want to mount the entire form. Then I go through and fill out all the fields and verify my validation is working correctly or something like that. That's something I find very useful. And if you're shallow mounting, you might have difficulty getting that full integration between all the components working correctly. But there are obviously use cases for shallow mount. I think uh, you mentioned earlier that GitLab were able to speed their test suite up significantly using shallow mount. And I think the other, if you're on the very extreme end of unit testing where you really want to isolate a single functionality, if you shallow mount, you effectively stub out all the rest of the irrelevant functionality to your test. So you can get these very focused unit tests, which is valuable for some use cases. So it depends if you're going for the very specific unit tests or if you're more about getting almost an integration test where you you test a large amount of functionality uh, at the same time. I'm interested in everyone else's thoughts though, because as at least a developer of view test utils, I have a different set of opinions and expectations than people developing uh, maybe complex e-commerce app or something like that. So how does everyone else feel about shallow mount and mount and stubbing things out, that sort of thing? I'll chime in on this. (laughs) I'm in the shallow mount camp for 
the majority of use cases just because I ran into a, a situation where a previous maintainer of my code base had really, I think, gone beyond the definition of a unit test and had written tests that tested a very nested hierarchy of components and how they worked together. So it literally broke everything when I tried to refactor anything in it. I'm not going to lie. I eventually just commented out the test and was like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) But because like it literally, the view that it was testing was a, a hierarchy view of, you know, parent and children relationships. And it was trying to go all the way down in. And I was just trying to refactor some of the slots in there. And it just, oh man, not fun. So yeah, if I can get away with it, I much prefer shallow map because it does, it reduces the complexity. And for me, given the fact that I don't love writing tests to begin with, if I can reduce that friction, I will. <laughs> On the flip side though, if your tests are breaking when you're a factor, generally the, the tests were not great in the first place. So Yeah, no, they weren't. It, I'm not going to lie. Could be, it, can be, <laughs> it, can be a bit, it can be a bit of both, right? <laughs> But yeah, I get it. It's pretty difficult. It takes a little, sometimes if you write code that's not orientated at being tested, it can be very difficult. And that's where shallow amount comes in pretty useful because whether you like it or not, sometimes your code base is not that easy to test. I'd rather have some coverage than no coverage, right? So I think that's where shallow amount is really useful. If you really want to just focus on one specific feature, you can, which is, which is great. I was just going to say for me that the line that I draw is how complex is the interaction between this component and its child components? And so, I mean, there'll be a lot of cases where like, I might want to mock out some components, but not all of them as well. So for example, if I basically, in my search bar example, am expecting the button to just act like an HTML button, and there's no other complex behavior there, then I will happily mock that out. I, I don't care. That's not a super complex interaction. I'm not worried about the interplay between those things like not not working exactly right when it is a more complex interaction and that it, when it is more of like a a niche case and especially when I do something hacky like I that's a case where I want a full mount and I, I want to use that actual component to test that relationship because I feel less certain about the relationship in the case where you guys have very complex behavior that is not appropriate for unit test do you, do you have end-to-end tests or do you have actual human testers? What what kind of tools is everyone using for those more high-level tests? <laughs> <laughs> what an no, uh, answer. I love it. <laughs> uh, in that case, uh, it's usually down to human testing, which obviously is not very efficient, but I'm the sole maintainer on my code base and there's only one tester and he has to cover not only the front end, but the back end and the CLI. So... Sometimes maybe bugs go into production. I won't say either way. (laughs) But yeah, you know, for I think probably a lot of other people are in the same boat where maybe you work at a startup and there's all this pressure to just get features shipped. So yeah, I tend to procrastinate and lie to myself and say someday I'll get back to it on the more complex um, integrations. (laughs) But uh, I'm still going to get back to that someday. And just because you're writing tests too, doesn't mean you never let bugs into production. Like I've definitely, like this month, let bugs into production. (laughs) Chris, I'm shocked. You know, it's just like, you know, you you think of everything that you can and you can test that, but uh, there'll always be like edge cases that sometimes you don't think about. But if you already have tests there, then you just write another test when that comes up and then you fix the problem. And then you know it can't happen again, or at least not 
not the exact same problem. <laughs> totally. When you're in that TDD or test-driven development mind frame and you have the infrastructure and the culture built up, it's one of the easiest ways to fix bugs is, is you just add another test for that case you missed. Yeah, yeah also that's a huge thing. Go ahead. I was going to say that that test-driven d- development culture is very good, but it can be hard to build those in a team as well. So if anyone has any tips on building those that culture, please let me know. <laughs> yeah, I think Sarah, we are all waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think it's a compromise. Uh, I don't, I don't ever try to push full test-driven development on anyone that's building like an application. I think libraries are a different case where like, yeah, there aren't firm deadlines and, you know, like a lot of people will be using this in often very strange ways that we might not predict. And especially like in JavaScript, the the interfaces aren't always completely clear either. So people can like access strange APIs that like aren't supposed to be public. (laughs) And so... I think tests are, are, are very important in, in those cases. In applications, I, if people don't have any tests, I have a condition that I need at least end-to-end tests and testing at least two things. Like, can they sign in? Can they give us money? Because I if mean, you don't have either of those two important. things, <laughs> yeah. like, you don't have a business. You don't have a business, never mind an application. Like, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> You're not making any money today at all. Totally. <laughs> I'm not a zealot about TDD. I think it's really useful for bugs. But when people are like, I have no tests, where do I start? I'm like, think about the most important code in your code base. And like, what if you just deleted it? Like, would you know if you committed the key part of your application gone and pushed it? Do you have anything to catch it? And that's, that's where I think people should start is uh, if they have no tests, is just like the key part of their business. I think we should and also point out that running your tests is important because <laughs> I may or may not always run my tests. <laughs> I think Chris really yeah. hit the nail on the head. If you have nothing, at least if you have one or two very basic end-to-end tests that validate the app is working, at the very least you can sign in. That's quite valuable, right? And if you're yeah, they don't need to log stage. out. Mm. That, that's yeah. fine. That's not essential. <laughs> they don't need, need to be able to cancel their subscription. <laughs> <laughs> we can deal with that. We can do that manually when they call up support. <laughs> One other topic I think is uh, important to discuss is about documentation, actually. I think one of the weaknesses of you test utils is not enough guidance on how to test things. It's just really a dump of the API, which is not exactly the most useful thing. And if you look at something like Vue, it has you know, excellent documentation. That's, that's why I got into Vue in the first place, because the docs were easy to understand. So I think one focus of the team going forward is also improving the documentation for Vue test utils, not just focusing on what, what it does, but how to do things and why to use shallow mount or when to use shallow mount, that sort of thing. It's very challenging because everyone has their own opinions on testing, but I think that's a key focus for us as well. Yeah, it's difficult to negotiate within a team. You know, as someone who has had to do this, you know, trying really? to find out like what are the best <laughs> practices we recommend when like everybody might have different best practices. There's no like generally agreed upon set of rules to follow. And and building consensus, to what extent do you have to build consensus? Or or could you just like say, well, we think this is best for now, but feel free to disagree with it. You know, like like Vue does in the, the style guide, especially where it's like, yeah, these are some things that can be helpful. Just like 
feel free to break any rules you want. Just have a reason. For yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, go ahead. For the Rubyists um, or former Rubyists in the room, our spec has just this great good, bad, best practices section. It was the inspiration for Jasmine as well, for those familiar with Jasmine. And Vue core API docs have something similar. And I'm hoping that we can add something like that for Vue test utils that would define just like, should you use mount? Should you use shallow mount? And when should you choose one or the other? Stuff like that. The big challenge for me is so. it's hard to say, this is how to test your application because you know I don't know what your application is. I don't know what your application does, but I think guidelines are definitely valuable, right? Sorry, Chris, you were going to say something? Oh, no, I was just going to say, I, I think something that, that could be very helpful that I, I never tried when I was writing docs for, for Vue, but is an idea I've, I've toyed with sometimes, is having an FAQ where you have different members of the team, like basically anyone who wants to participate, like give their answers. That's really cool. That's really and, really and that way, it's not like definitive. Like this is not like the way that everyone has to do it. But you're you're making it very clear that this is coming from a, a personal place, and you might get some different opinions, and you know might see more about like why you know Jessica thinks this one way, Lachlan thinks this other way, uh, and here's why Jessica's right. Twitter wars with like hashtag Team Jessica, hashtag Team Lachlan. Like, oh yeah, I'm all for this. <laughs> Ooh. But no, really, that, that's really cool because I find that I, I think I've seen some articles like that. I can't remember where, but you find somebody whose voice you identify with and you're like, oh, Lachlan's writing an application that sounds like mine or Jessica's building a plugin and I'm building a plugin. Maybe I should identify with one or the other when you can choose. Yeah. And if it's someone on the team, then you know they're speaking as an authority, but they can still disagree with each other and that you still see that it's, it's a person who's also still trying to figure things out and hasn't, like, hasn't solved the problem of never having a bug. <laughs> um, I mean, people the- are always changing their opinions on how to test, right? Like, uh, I, although we have a lot more knowledge than we did two years ago when view test utils still started, uh, the people still have very different opinions on how to test and what to test. So it's kind of a constant, constantly evolving area, right? You have uh, different practices, different tools coming up all the time. And like one, a very interesting topic will be how people test their composition API components, I think. It's a very big shift from the previous options API. Some, some people think that the composition API won't need any, any change. And because it's just a JavaScript object, you can just test it like a JavaScript object. There are thoughts about that. I don't know. Evan, Evan has thoughts about that, that I am, uh, that I am trying to... Uh, understand more clearly. During my exploration work of uh, the TypeScript rewrite, I actually spent a lot of time reading the Vue core code base for Vue 3 and seeing how Evan does things because clearly Evan is testing Vue components in his, in his development environment. So it was very, his, at least what Evan has set up is very simple just uses very basic DOM APIs and very simple stub functions or mock functions when they make sense. So if anyone is interested in that sort of thing, definitely check out the, the new view code base. It has obviously great test coverage and uh, it's very consistent. And obviously Evan's learned a lot from writing view twice at this point. So I'd say he's got a pretty good idea of how to at least write and test uh, JavaScript frameworks. At least we hope so, right? <laughs> One would hope. <laughs> 
One of the concrete things that we're hoping to address in documentation is uh, improved real world examples. So for like view I18N, we have like one view X example in the view test utils documentation. And I think we could do a little bit better. So we're hoping to, to show examples for more complex application setup. One, one idea I had was we should have a community project we all build together and test it. And then people would be able to see, oh, this is how you build a, a large Vue.js application. I'm not too sure what that would be at this point, but it might be valuable, especially because looking at Ed's book, he builds a Hack and Use clone. And it's really good to see how he actually tests a full application. So that might be a good opportunity to involve more community members as well. That sounds really cool. Yeah. You've been doing a lot of screencasts, Lachlan. So I'm hoping maybe one day we can... There's, there's two... Oh, never mind. I'll let, I'll let you do it. I was, I was going to spoil, uh, spoil two cool things, but <laughs> I don't know. No spoilers. Do it. Do it. Um, okay, fine. So the, so the two cool things that, that we went back and forth on is Lachlan could do fixing an open source issue on view test utils as a screencast which I was just in love with that idea. And then the other one was, uh, was what you just mentioned, building a mini application on Screencast. I thought those would be awesome for the community. Man, doing a... It would, I mean, uh, a long time ago, I used to watch a lot of uh, Ruby on Rails videos. And there was... I can't remember who it was, but one guy fixed a bug in a, a big Ruby library. And it was just amazing seeing his workflow and how he thought. So I think that'd be a lot of value in like anyone doing those sort of videos. Like I can imagine it'll be very cool to watch Evan work on core or, you know, someone working on view router, uh, Eduardo working on view router because uh, everyone has their own workflow and how they think. And it's really cool to see how people do that because for example, I very rarely use a debugger, which is surprising because a lot of people are very heavy users of their ID and their debugger. So, I mean, there's a lot to learn from watching other people develop, right? Yeah. I was shocked to know that you, that you only use Vim. And that's it. And like no debugger statements or whatever. I was like, whoa. Doesn't even use a log guy. (laughs) 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 If I have to get to the browser, uh, I mean. You've never seen anything that you've built, but they they work. (laughs) The test pass. I assume it works. It is a big um, (laughs) dumb. I let the users report the bugs. So that's that's not a problem. But it is a big thinking shift when you're working on a library that doesn't have a defined UI like view test utils. So I definitely learned a lot from uh, transitioning to this kind of open source library uh, development. Yeah, I feel like, you know, just, be, yeah, like you said, being able to see someone else's workflow would be useful, at least for someone like me, who one of the, the biggest downsides to my job is the fact that I am the only front-end developer. And so I don't get to, to learn from other people's practices. So sometimes I'm like, am I doing everything wrong? I, I have no way of knowing. I'll just assume it's going okay. The app works. <laughs> so yeah, I think it'd be... Because you know, like, that's the, the type of thing you can't really like explain to someone. Like You just kind of have to see someone else working to, to gather those tidbits. So yeah, those are great the, ideas. You should definitely do them. I think it's very unlikely you're doing everything wrong and also very unlikely you're doing everything right. Yeah, no, like, right? I don't think any of us probably <laughs> do everything right. Like, yeah, I always, I always look back at my right. development... Uh, and think like, oh gosh, like I, I really like learned a lot and now do things considerably differently. I, I feel so like I'm doing everything, everything wrong all the time, to be honest. Like, I don't know. Uh, it's kind of scary to imagine myself teaching someone because I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. But I guess everyone gets a bit of imposter syndrome uh, occasionally. 
to me. Oh, me never. Uh huh. <laughs> I'm perfect. <laughs> one, one of the best things that that we did because I had a lot of imposter syndrome when I when I joined Vitest Utils is uh, Lachlan and I kind of paired via text on on one of the first issues I picked up, and that really helped. I was like, okay, we're at the same level. We're working through the same problems. It's not like he's leagues better than me. We're just hammering on the same issue. So it was really nice to meet Lachlan and realize like, oh, he's not actually that much smarter than me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't don't feel intimidated at all in this situation. Oh, this is great. Okay, yeah, I'm good. (laughs) He's just human. I'm just human. (laughs) This guy doesn't even use a debugger. <laughs> I do think really, it's important being reminded to... that like other developers are human. Sometimes it's all you need to just get yeah. through the yeah. day. I do think it's important to encourage this sort of just asking stupid questions almost because I have like stupid oh, yeah. questions all the time. Like recently, I was trying to figure out how we could build the new view test utils, like writing a config with rollup, and like I don't even know what rollup was until a week ago. So I just went and copy pasted someone else's and you know sat there for a few hours and hammered it out. But just figuring out like all the different module systems like CJS and ESM and whatever else there is, right? Like it's really hard to to ask these questions sometimes because you feel like everyone knows. But turns out most of the time, uh, a lot of people don't know everything. So it's better just to ask and find out, right? I think the view community is pretty inviting. So I hope people feel not uh, scared or what's the word? intimidated by everyone because everyone's just like everybody else, right? Just trying to figure things out and, you know, get their job done or make their contribution. Yeah. And I think a lot of times, even when you think you know something, you, you don't really like you, you realize once you try to explain it, that it's like, oh, maybe I, I don't actually understand this. And I think shallow mount is a, is a great example of that, where like a lot of people who use shallow mount, like think they know like what's, what's going on and like what, what is happening in the background where they, they might not actually fully understand it if they've never looked at the source code? Would you say that's accurate? Well, even if you look at the source code, maybe you don't fully understand it, but... That's <laughs> 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 how you learn, some... right? Yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think I'm in that camp. <laughs> Just two weeks ago, three weeks ago, Lachlan asked this question on our, in our Discord channel. We use Discord for most of our communications. And he was like, so how do I emit an event on a shallow mounted component? It was something like that, right? Or like, how are slots supposed to work for shallow mounted components? And we really are just like, oh man, how are they supposed to work? And we're the, we're the maintainers here. We have to re-derive like why certain decisions were made coming into a, a code base fresh like that. I hadn't seen the, the syntax with the hashtags for the, the slots before. I think it must be pretty new. And I just saw it recently. I was like, "What on earth is what on earth is going on here?" And yeah, so <laughs> yeah, that was- um, <laughs> yeah. Turns out, you is a bigger library than I thought. I suppose. <laughs> and and circling back, uh, you did talk about how at the beginning you just kind of like built every feature that was requested, and so like view test utils just got to do like a lot of different things, and it sounds like. You're, you're trying to refine that more and figure out like what should view test utils do and, and what's helpful versus what's not. Can yeah. you talk about some of, some of those examples of things that you built before, but you're thinking maybe aren't helpful? Definitely. Anything from the API that looks like a matcher to so things like dot exists 
anything that goes outside of the realm of mounting the component, finding it later, and triggering events. We just want people to be able to find their components after they mount them and trigger events. I think that's, that's it. And you'll find, if you look in the API, many more methods than that. So we, we do want to allow users to extend upon view test utils. So one of the other things we're exploring is a, a pluggable architecture. This is one of Dobromir's concepts, is to allow users who would like a bigger API to extend the, the view test utils core to add matchers and, uh, and other features like resetting emitted, things like that. Um, to add to that, I think exists is a pretty cool API, but I could live without it. Anyway, the one that really comes to mind to me is we have all these methods like set props and set methods and set computed and pretty much set everything else. I made most of them because when I first started working on view test utils, I was like, there was a set props method, which I guess makes sense. And I was like, oh, I'm so cool. I'm contributing to open source. I'm just going to make all the set methods, not really thinking if it actually made a lot of sense. And now that I reflect on that, I think that methods like, uh, for example, set methods doesn't make a ton of sense to me because in a, in a production situation, your view components method is not going to uh, dynamically change, hopefully. So having set methods to me doesn't make a ton of sense, but it is very hard to take away features once you have them because people rely on those features, right? So I'm interested in what everyone else thinks about a smaller API or a larger API or anything along those lines. Please, 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 Monterey. <laughs> uh, in, in particular, like I get frustrated with anything that is just like, oh, so this basically does what you can already do with the DOM API, but it's a different way that then implies that there's some kind of magic that's happening and that's maybe necessary in order to get this working. Like even even things like find sometimes, like like if if I really just want to play around with elements, like. I would much prefer to just use like, like query selector and you know text content instead of like the text method, you know, because that's those are the APIs that I'm going to expect JavaScript developers on my team to be familiar with anyway. Like I want them to be familiar with the DOM. I don't want them to have to learn another way of interacting with the DOM that is just for tests. Yeah, for and sure. Like learning right, another really set of APIs. <laughs> And if one person uses it, then the whole team has to learn it. Um, find is definitely a good example of that. Find can find many components in weird and wonderful ways. And it's quite problematic, partly because there's so many different ways of doing the same thing. And partly because most of the time it will work, but sometimes it won't because of mm -hmm. for whatever complex reason. So I think that I really agree with using the query selector syntax. Because that's what every web developer knows, right? And you can be confident it works exactly how you are used to it working. And it can, like, using that syntax can help you learn more about like what Vue is actually doing. So attached to an element, you can find the component instance and and start playing around with that if you if you actually want to like interact with the component instance. You you would almost have to rewrap it. I like to explain the the Vue test utils wrapper as kind of like a jQuery wrapped node for people, but you'd have to rewrap it after you use document, you know, query selector all or whatever to get it. So there would be some complexity in that and would be maybe a breaking change. It's like once you give the feature, you have to figure out a cutover plan so people don't have breaking changes. But yeah, if you, if you have a native API, it, 
allows more transparency for people to see what's actually going on. Yeah, although not even necessarily rewrap it because the 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 view instance like exists as a, as a property on the element, so you can access it that way. Really? Is that still the case in View Three? I guess it would be. actually. I actually haven't tested in View Three. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. We could play around with that. That's a good. That's but a good I, I would assume. I would assume so. I, I don't know if there's a there would be a good reason to remove that. But like showing people that, like that could be useful to them in other contexts too when they're developing. You know, and they want to do something hacky. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a really interesting idea. I'm interested to spike that out. I do have one more beef with set props, though, which is that it is inherently buggy because when we set props, it's not like it's data or anything. So if you have a watcher, it will rewrite your props and re-render your components. So there are some things with like, and we're hoping to address this in one of the rewrites, you inherently can't test props that are, that are affected by watchers when they're like using set immediate. So there's, there's some heavy bugs that we can't avoid. Makes me have a beef with uh, set props. So, but is that a beef with the existence of set props or with the way that set props currently works? The existence. Like, I think even if we, we like manually run the watchers, like we manually in the source code trigger the warning for like view config to yell at you to go off. Then we mutate the props directly there. We turn the warning back on and then we trigger all the watchers manually. Like it's, it's really error prone and we have a lot of GitHub issues about it. So. so in like, as an alternative, would you recommend that people like just set attribute on an element? Remount. Uh, or? Remount the whole thing. I mean, you need your watchers to run in order so that your code is production-like. That is, that is my, one of my biggest objectives is that the API is production-like, right? Or else but if not- something is getting props over time, or like if it's getting props from a parent, that, that might be changing over time. You're uh, or from about- UX or something. Like, how do you, how do you d- dynamically change it without restarting the component, essentially? You should. You should restart it. If you, you mean mutating the props on the child? Mutating if, the, if, the props on the component you're testing. Right. So I would remount the whole thing. But that's not what you'll be doing in production, right? Every time, like if if there's changing state that's coming from ex- somewhere external, like from a parent or from UX. One alternative, which is what I personally do, is wrap the component in another component, then change the parent's prop, and then that will give you the effect you want, right? Yeah, is one way to do it. But yeah, this is the reason that some things. But it's like kind of a props. hack. Like I, I think yeah. set, set props could be useful to yeah, just like right. make you not have to worry about that hack. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think set but the way that it works currently, it yeah. definitely makes more sense than set methods. I think that or something like that. <laughs> yeah, but I've also yeah. found uses yeah. for all of the other ones. Right, you can use set computer to fake your Vuex store, which is something I used to do a lot. So, yeah, there are use cases for all these APIs, which is why it's not that easy or even advisable to change the API too heavily. Kind of on a tangent, but with Vue three using proxies so heavily, which is a new JavaScript API. Things are a lot more locked down and you are able to hide properties that you don't want people accessing. So I think some of these hacks are going to get a whole lot harder to do, but we'll see how we go. So I think set props also has power and responsibility and part of the documentation should tell people some of the risks so that if you're going to use set props and you have you know, an immediate watcher firing, you should understand that you might get overwritten on the re-render. So people need to understand 
things might go weird or you have to think about the code that you're setting props on. Yeah, I know I personally rely pretty heavily on set props because I have a real-time application. So it's a given that my props will change. So please don't get rid of it. <laughs> Your main use case for that? Well, yeah, uh, I, think, I think there does need to be some way to like change props. But yeah, it's specific behavior. I think a lot of people wouldn't even assume that that's actually how it's working and what it's doing. Mm. What is everyone's main use case for set props? Is it to trigger some kind of watcher when the prop changes? For me, a lot of it is changing classes, assuring, ensuring that, you know, while not actually testing the styles, because God, no one wants to do that, ensuring that at least the classes that I expect to be there will be there based on a change in prop. Because a lot of times I'm changing the way something looks based on state changes. I think what Jess was hinting at there was you just, or what Jess might have been saying was, Mm -hmm. You remount the component with different props and then verify the class has changed. Is that what you meant, Jess, by remounting? Yeah. yeah. Would that work for you? Well, there are are many cases where like there might actually be a transition that happens like when new pops are pressed and like you can't really test that transition by remounting the component. And also remounting the component like should be unnecessary. Like that's extra work that that you have to do that is going to make the test slower if, if that's not actually what you want to do. Okay. And that's what Lachlan was getting at is that there's a sh- maybe a, a lightweight wrapper that you can put around. Yeah. 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 Okay. Cool. So, I yeah, think but, both- but I think it'd be nice if, if there were some way where you didn't have to do the wrapper. <laughs> you know, just like it, it, it's that's often not like intuitive to people, I think. Oh, for sure. And like yeah. exploring these use cases while we're writing the documentation will definitely inform any, not necessarily API changes, but maybe internal thinking we have on how to accomplish what users expect and what users want. You know, talking to both of you, I think it's really great to see that as maintainers, even though you both have opinions on things, how to do, I think, I know know that as a Vue community member, like it is sort of comforting to know that you all uphold the Vue ethos of like not imposing your values on other applications and that you are you know, giving people that flexibility to choose what works best for their app and their teams. So I know for me personally, I, I really appreciate that you all are upholding that. So thank you. I think at the end of the day, people just want to be confident their applications are working correctly, right? So the most important thing is they have tools that allow them to do that, whether it's a wrapper or set props or, or something else. Well, I think, Chris, do you think we should start wrapping up the episode with picks? Yeah, let's do it. But first, before we do that, I just want to thank you both for all of your great work on Vue Test Utils and like continuing to, to make it easier mm-hmm. for the Vue community to, to test their applications. That's, yeah, very, very, very useful. I don't, I, testing is a hard problem and I, I don't think uh, anyone would argue that it's, a, it's not incredibly valuable to see it made easier and easier all the time. Thank you. And where can people find you, find out more about your work and, and stuff like that on the internets? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at underscore Jessica Sachs or on Discord on the Viewland Discord. And didn't you also, weren't you also involved in View Mastery's new testing series? Oh my gosh, how do you know this? This just happened yesterday, Chris, <laughs> you guys. So yeah, I'm only proofreading. You know, Adam does all the mm-hmm. hard work and I just proofread it. So. <laughs> 
I mean, pr- proofreading, I, I don't think does it does it fully justice. I, I mean, you're, you're you're making sure that you know they're teaching things that'll be useful to people. So yeah. I mean, you're you're a content expert. Yeah, you're not just oh. looking for spelling mistakes. That's, that's a very that's a very formal way of saying it. Yeah, but I but I'm hoping to involve the rest of the team too because I don't always know what's best. We work very collaboratively. Like we're always talking to each other in Discord. We don't really have a one person knows best mentality. But yeah, I'm excited to uh, start work with View Mastery and be a content expert, as you say. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Cool. I guess I'll do my little social media thing now. If anyone wants to find me, um, I'm on Twitter at Lachlan19900. I'm sure that'll be in the show notes anyway. Or you can just check out uh, View Test Utils or one of those repositories. I'm usually posting issues and pull requests there, so you can find my GitHub. I also made a website recently, which is viewjscourse.com. So it's viewjs-course.com. I had the idea to make a Vue.js course, as the name would imply. But then I realized none of the libraries other than Vue 3 were actually ready for production. So Vue Router and Vuex and all those uh, different libraries are still being worked on. So prior to making that course, I'm making screencasts. They're all free to watch. So if anyone wants to check those out, you can see the kind of uh, content I'm interested in and uh, learn a bit about uh, testing in Vue Vue 3. And you also wrote the Vue Testing Handbook, right? Oh, yeah. That was actually mentioned, I think, last week. Someone did that as their pick. So Mm -hmm. when I first picked up Vue, I didn't have much idea on how to test. So I just tried things out and found out what worked well for me. And I forget things a lot, so I wrote it all down in a book called The Vue Testing Handbook. It's got uh, very simple examples of how to do various things with Vue Test Utils. So if anyone's looking for... I guess, documentation with a bit more guidance than the view test utils. You can check that out. And hopefully that's useful for you. Beautiful. Now let's go on to picks. So Elizabeth, would you like to go first? Sure. Okay. So two picks this week. The first one is a song called I Wish by Tom Mish. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but anyways, it's just a really nice song. And I, yeah, it's my pick this week. And um, the next pick is 1917 because I saw it recently and it was super good. So I recommend watching it if you haven't already. And that's it. All right, Ben, you're up next. Yep. So my picks for this week, uh, the first one is a show on Netflix called Love is Blind. Basically, it's a social experiment where they have 15 um, men and women just like talk in pods. And so they talk to each other. They've never seen each other. But then at the end of the week, they have to get engaged, decide whether they want to get married. And it's sort of like, it's really interesting because you think it's just like trashy reality TV, but it's actually a really fascinating social experiment because these people are like, like they go through the real, like, you know, the, the troubles of like a relationship, what happens when they get outside the pod and they see each other for the first time. And then it's how social media and stuff plays into it. Like, it's really fascinating. So if you love those kind of like social experiments, Love is Blind, super great. Oh my gosh. I feel like Catfish accomplishes that too. (laughs) (laughs) Ben, that was going to be my pick this week, but I just, for some reason, I chose something else. I'm glad I did. I've been watching that too, and it's super interesting. Yeah, they released the finale this week. So for those who want to binge watch, just now you can watch it all. So Okay, I'm only on the first few episodes. So only a few people have gotten out of the pods. I'm really excited (laughs) for the Yes, we'll need to talk more about that later. (laughs) And then my second pick for the gamers out there, I started playing Destiny 2 with some friends and it's a lot of fun. 
So for those that don't know, Destiny 2 is a first-person shooter. Think like Halo, Call of Duty. But what's really great about it is that it's free. I did not know this. I thought it was going to be like $60, $70, and it's totally free. You just play with friends, and it's easy to log in and like get a quick strike in, like 20, 30 minutes, and you're out. You don't have to like commit a ton of time. So that is my pick for the week. All right. And Ari, what about your picks? I have three picks, or I guess like two and a half. So my first two picks are songs for the ongoing Ari's Coding Playlist <laughs> series, both by the same artist, Scattle. The songs are Relay and Serrated. Scattle has done some work on video game soundtracks, sort of throwback synth type sounds. So if you're into that, I highly recommend those. And my other pick is a new show on Hulu, High Fidelity. Some of you may recognize the title as either a book or a movie from the 90s. It is that. So it very much follows the same vibe as the movie did if you watched that. In fact, I even think the set is exactly the same. But it has a female lead instead. And interestingly enough, it is the daughter of one of the female leads from the movie High Fidelity. It's a little cheesy, but... It's fun. It's light. I like it. Those are my picks. All right. My picks for this week, they're two shows by the same creator. His name is Josh something. I don't know. But the first one is Everything's Gonna Be Okay. It's a relatively new show. They're still in their first season. It's available on Hulu. And it's a dramedy that is very, very real and very loving. I I really, really enjoy it. And the other one is Please Like Me which is by the same, the same show creator. This was his first show that is actually sort of fashioned after his life. And I, I like it for the same reasons. It's very real, very grounded, very funny, but also just so, so loving. Like the, the show really cares for its characters. And there's a real sense of, of family that I enjoy. I have a friend who, who has a rule for, for shows that he watches. It's like a, a vague rule. It's the food test. And if... Characters aren't ever seen as like eating joyfully and like eating with each other. And then the show probably doesn't actually care about like the humanity of its characters. And especially if the only people that you see eating are like gluttonous and like, you know, have like things like dribbling down their chin and they're evil. <laughs> then, then it really doesn't like eating. Like in Lord of the Rings, like good guys eat Limbus bread or Lambus bread or whatever that junk is. You know, where you just like, you don't enjoy it. It's just like a, a stale cracker that fills you up because you have to be heroing. Now I just have that scene where the villain is eating and oh my God, no. Yeah. See, oh. the, the villains are the only ones who you actually see really, really enjoying eating. I know that the hobbits do a little bit, but they're also seen as like weak. And drunk. Not real heroes. <laughs> I think the drunk is the key there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And that's it from my picks today. Jessica, would you like to go next? Yeah. So I have three picks. So my first pick is an app um, or a desktop game. They make it for all platforms. It's called Mini Metro. And so it's an addictive game where you, and there's no ads, you have to pay for it, where you design the most optimal metro. And it's absolutely gorgeous. And so you want to make sure your stations don't suffer from overcrowding. Uh, and there's some game mechanics that allow you to kind of figure out how you want to do it. It's it's really fun. I played it for hours. So the second the second pick I have is GitHub's new notifications UI. 
which is making my life so much better as a maintainer. I can actually see what's going on in our repo like easily. So that's, that's been a life changer. And the last one is an old comedy about baseball because I'm really excited that baseball season's picking back up. It's called Bull Durham. And it's a comedy about the opening lines are a, a monologue about the church of baseball. And it's, it follows a minor league picture. It's hilarious. I didn't think it'd be funny when I, my partner told me to watch it. I was like, I don't know, it's an old movie, but, but I was very wrong. I was so very wrong. It has to be my favorite movie now. I I recently moved to Durham, North Carolina, where the movie takes place. And I have been told by a lot of people that I need to watch Bull Durham. It's hilarious. It's, it is not, there's not a moment wasted. You will, I mean, do you like baseball? No. I mean, (laughs) does anybody? You don't have to like baseball to enjoy that. Even baseball players don't look like they're having that much fun. I don't know. Once they <laughs> once they score and they have all the hand the handshakes, there's like a few moments of excitement for four hours. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it was like my dad's 40th birthday party. Yeah, yeah exactly. There's <laughs> some mild excitement and people shaking hands. Basically, T- tell me how you really feel, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But I, I am looking forward to the movie. I have heard that it's very good. And it features Kevin Costner. I love Kevin Costner. <laughs> well, Those now we know picks. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Note to self. Okay. So Thank you. Lachlan, would you like to go next? Uh, sure. So I have two picks. One is uh, probably very typical and boring, but just the Vue.js 3 source code is super interesting. I learned a lot uh, reading through that. So... I think everyone should check it out to understand uh, how Vue really works. Two more picks, actually. So one is a movie called Parasite. By It's actually a Korean film. It won an Oscar recently. So it's legit. I watched it recently. It was really, really good on the edge of my seat uh, the entire time. So I would highly recommend people checking that out. The other pick, I guess, and I'm surprised no one took this, was there's a Vue.js documentary now. It covers uh, how Evan got started with Vue and how he got where he is today and a bunch of other core maintainers are in the documentary too. So that was a pretty almost heartwarming thing to watch. So very cool. I definitely recommend people check that one out as well. Including Linus Borg's cat makes a great, one of his three cats I learned makes a great appearance in the view three documentary or view documentary. Sorry. It wasn't easy to get him on too. Like his, (laughs) he was expensive. (laughs) His appearance fee. Oh, yeah. Apparently, I believe I'm technically in one of the shots, but I happen to be behind a poster. So almost <laughs> had my chance. We, we have experience with cat appearances on this show because we had Jen Looper's cat did a meow, I believe, on one of our previous yeah. shows. It was very cute. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> I was hoping my cat would come in today, but she didn't. So sorry, guys. <laughs> Wow. My two are not are not camera cats. They are very shy. <laughs> cool. And at that, I will wrap it up. Thank you all for listening this week. And until next time, enjoy the view. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. With 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage option, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price that you don't. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com view.